Blog Talk Radio. Podcast. I'm Rev Kess. Kali Sarah is on the line. Good evening, Kali Sarah. How are you? I am here. Ah, awesome, awesome. 
Uh, I'm here too. That's the good part, right? And we have a guest. Yes, we do. Would you like to introduce our guest since you're the one that sets us all up? Okay. Um, Asif Mare is the author of Murder and Absentia, which is the Felix the Fox series books, right? Yes. Yes. And you're from Australia. Yep. Yep. Sydney, Australia. It's already Monday morning here. Uh, just read me the phone book now. <laughs> I, I am totally an accent addict. Okay. <laughs> over it. Uh, my accent is not Australian, unfortunately. So I can fake one. So I can I might. But uh, yeah, it'll be totally fake. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna work really hard at placing that until you tell me. So what is your accent? Sir? Oh, uh, so I grew up in Israel, uh, had British teachers, American TV, and a South African boss. So and now I live in Australia. So my accent is a bit all over the place. I can hear the Israeli influence there. Awesome. Wow. Thanks. A man of the world. Uh, that talks up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, we are going to be talking about the togers and daggers and magic. Oh my, we, we've been doing that all week because it's just beautiful and really togers and daggers and magic. So um, this is, I'm, I'm just going to read a little bit about the uh, the book from the book blurb. A young man found dead in his bed with a look of extreme agony on his face and strange tattoos all over his body. His distraught senator father suspects foul play and knows who to call on. Enter Felix the Fox, a professional investigator. That is just an awesome introduction right there to a book. I mean, Phil, do you want to read it? I've wanted to read it since you set it up. The interview, that is. So, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got into writing in general and this book series in particular? All right. Um, how did I get into writing? Almost accidentally. Um, I've, I've read since I was five. Um, always loved reading, always had my nose in a book. And writing a book, though, always seems something like, you know, uh, a bucket list things for later in life when you have time. Never something I thought I'd uh, seriously consider doing. And then last year, last January, my wife said, oh, you know, finish the last book I wanted to read. There's nothing good left that I want to read. And I said, okay. And just after everybody was uh, in bed, I sat down, started to write, just randomly started to write, and uh, didn't stop. So finished the first novel, uh, wrote a few stories, and I'm working now on the second novel. So found my calling in a way. Awesome. And so, um, Felix the Fox. Now, is this a period piece? It, it, does it take place in in uh, 
historical Rome? Yep, so it's yep. Um, so historical fantasy. Real history. Real history. Um, I said um, it in a, it in a fantasy, world, fantasy world based on Rome. You are there. It's mostly, mostly the Roman the Roman lifestyle. Lifestyle. Roman mythology. Not the actual Roman history people and the event of a particular era. Mm-hmm. To make um, purely historical. Yeah. With that, uh, with all the culture, with all the mythology and, and the belief of people that uh, of the time, I make the, the magic. Yeah, fantasy, fun. Okay. Um, now, it says that. Uh, You've been a uh, Romanophile for years. <laughs> yes. What is it that appeals to you about that time period? Uh, I don't know. It's, um, I love history in general. So I grew up in Israel, as I said, and Israel is steeped in history. No matter where you dig, you'll, you'll find ruins from ancient times. Um it's actually really a problem in construction sites that you can almost cannot dig without hitting on somebody's ancient grave or something. So I've always been surrounded by history and always loved history in general. Um, and Rome was, um, I think I first got got my first asterisk when I was about 10. I just fell in love with the whole setting there. And through there, um, that was my gateway into Roman culture. And I went uh, with my parents to Europe, to Italy when I was uh, 13, and I really loved all the ancient ruins and uh, the culture. So just something that always appealed to me. Cool. And um, now, obviously, Roman culture spans hundreds of years, if not thousands. I'm not sure. I'm not a huge Roma- Romanophile. Phil? Several hundred years, yes, uh, when you're talking yeah. about the uh, Roman Empire. But uh, the existence of Rome itself, yeah, a couple of thousand, three thousand, something like that. Yeah. So, so um, traditionally, Rome was established about 750 BC. It was a small city kingdom in Italy, and they slowly expanded. Uh, the great expansion and, and empires from the uh, last stages of the Republic in the 1st century BC to about um, the 3rd century BC when really horrible times started. But if you cut the Byzantine Empire, which actually called themselves Roman, they lasted almost to the 15th century, to the middle of the 15th century. It's almost 2,000 years. And which portion do you tend to focus on? Sorry, can you repeat that? Uh, what, what part of the, the history of Rome do you tend to focus on? Like early Roman, uh, mid yeah, so Roman my, my Empire? Yeah, so my favorite period is probably the, um, what's termed the Middle Republic, 
the somewhere between the the Punic Wars and the start of the collapse of the Republic. I think these are um, Rome had the most energy, uh, while still being a sort of a, a not as decadent as you could see later during the the empire. Um, Rome had a tremendous expansion there. That's when they uh, seriously encountered the uh, Greek culture. I wouldn't say well, not encountered. They obviously had plenty of encounters before then. But that's when Greek culture started to have influence, and they uh, they had a lot of. Uh, uh, vibrancy in the culture while still maintaining a distinct Roman identity. In terms of years, there will be roughly the second mm-hmm. Well, it sounds to me well, it like it's pretty like obvious pretty you did obvious. a lot of research <laughs> for this. <laughs> um and you know, being a Romanophile yourself, you probably already had done a lot of the research without even intending it to be for a book. Yes, yes, this is something I do for fun. Um, I've always uh, liked to study about the period, um, and, uh, as well as general history. So yes, I knew a lot, and I like reading historical fiction. There are a lot of um, authors that do um, really good job in, in just writing historical fiction set in, in particular times uh, around Roman history and depicting life as it was, depicting the events as they unfolded and actually in their work and the afterwards for the work, they actually used notes which reference material they used, what what we could find and what they had to uh, use their creative license to fill in the gaps. I think those kind of books are they find the kind that I find the most engaging where um, where an author actually takes time to go through the rather patchy evidence that we have for those times and say, okay, so I'll fill in these gaps with this kind of explanation about what might have happened to fit what we actually know did happen. I think that's when that makes the most uh, compelling story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes it very um, real. I'd say, yep. uh, you know, a lot of us have, you know, a basic understanding of ancient Roman history because of, you know, classes that we had to take in school. You know, we've all heard of like Julius Caesar and and Augustus Caesar and some of the other uh, more commonly talked about in history classes, emperors and other citizens of Rome, mm-hmm. but to actually understand uh, something about the lives of people, you really do have to look at the fiction, you know, the the literary or historical fiction that has been written over the you know over the centuries. Really, I mean, you got Shakespeare with his plays, uh, but uh, putting the uh, element of mystery into it is something that I really enjoy. I've read a couple of uh, Roman era. Uh, historical mysteries over the years and even some Egyptian and what have you. And usually it seems that the, um, the hero of the story, the protagonist uh, is some kind of either a wealthy citizen or a uh, member of the priesthood, be it uh, um, 
you know, early Christian or one of the pagan religions. And I yeah. just kind of find that interesting. Yeah. Um, well, I, I like it when, when people reflect their, their religious beliefs of the time, and not just religion in general, the cultural beliefs of the time. Um, there is a fine line because modern readers do have their sensibilities. Um, I mean, for example, slavery was a fact of life. The Roman Empire was economically built on slavery. That's part of the reason for their expansion. You cannot just cannot ignore it. So, um, and indeed, they have one reader said that you know they found it uh, really off-putting that my protagonist you know has slaves in his household. So it's like, I'm sorry, <laughs> that, that, that there was no other way to um, to address this. And it's the same with, with religious beliefs or, or anything else. So it's kind of a you know, treatment of women and whatnot. So it's a bit of a fine line when you're trying to write a historical novel to both represent the people and the culture accurately while still maintaining uh, your modern readership's attention. Yeah, that that's very true. Um uh, I'm a, I'm a little bit at a loss right now. My most recent reading of anything that's Roman uh has been a series of uh Roman steampunk. <laughs> oh, so I I've tried to separate that stuff out as I'm uh thinking about your book and pondering if I'm going to click uh by now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I I love um I love all the speculative fiction, all the what-if kind of stories. I mean, that, that's why I write historical fantasy, not, not pure historical fiction. I love to, to play around with things. Yeah, and it it's looking like it's a really interesting story, and it's been out for almost 10 months, the book has. Yep. It was released in October of last year. And uh, what kind of – I know this is a really odd question and not one that I normally would ask, but I'm just curious. Uh, what kind of uh, reader response have you had? I've had amazing response to it, um, which is humbling. <laughs> I'd have people rave about the books and, and love it and contact me to say you know, how much they, they enjoyed reading it and how much they're looking forward to um, to the sequel. So it's it's humbling to see this much of response. I know that a lot of other um, indie authors have are struggling as well to to get their name out there and get readers to pick up the book and get reader recognition. So so it's an interesting experience. And I know you mentioned that you know uh, at least one reader. Um, let you know that it was kind of off-putting having the reality of slavery for uh, Felix. But um, there's so much of the history that people can include in stories of this kind. You know, when you've got a historical period that we don't know a whole lot about, but we do know how uh, they depicted themselves through their own writings, through their art and all of that. And I'm just curious how you decided what elements of history to include in the the fantasy that you created with Felix the Fox. 
Um, I met. I went mostly for the the cultural aspects. Um, I, I placed it in a it's a seaside town, so I mixed in a few elements from Alexandria as well. But it's primarily Roman. But the the strata of of um, historical accuracy in the novel is mainly pertaining to culture. So it's everything from uh, the type of food that they ate, the, the kind of clothes that they wore, the gods that they believed, uh, the sort of political institutions and how their society was, was structured. Um, I think one of my pet peeves is that people think Roman mythology is just, oh, it's Greek with a different name. No, no, completely different. Um, Greek influences came much later. Um, and even then, Roman gods and Roman identity was very different to how Greeks saw them. So I try to concentrate on, on those kind of things and um, make sure that, you know, um, the clothes that he wears is culturally appropriate, the weapons that he uses, the, the food that he eats on the streets, um, the uh, type of people that he would interact with would be similar and culturally correct. And the thing is that I left out, and why it's a, it's a fantasy world, is that I didn't want to be tied to a particular year, because for each year or decade in, in Rome's history, where I might have set it up, there would be particular wars, particular events, particular um, allies and whatnot, and then people speaking up that, that would have um, might have overshadowed what was going on, and I didn't want to touch them. I knew that uh, to do it properly would just take even more research, and I just wanted to get on with the story, and the story itself is not necessarily tied to those elements. So. Yeah, when you're talking uh, historical fiction, fantasy, whichever subgenre you want to attach to it, uh, when you include the elements of, you know, this much is historical fact, it so sometimes can limit where you go with things. Uh, I read uh, a book uh, several years ago. I'm trying to remember the author's last name right now because her first name just pops right into my head for some reason. But uh, it's uh, the story, and you know, it was set up purposely this way, but it's the story of uh, a heretical pope. And you know, the back cover reads, this much is historical fact, the rest is fiction, you know includes you know dates and all this for the pope and then goes into a brief description of what the reader is going to find and that kind of well not kind of it definitely did limit the scope of what she wrote as to what elements she could bring in but i've also read uh great historical fictions where the author is as vague as they can be about the specific time period, and it just brings a little bit more uh, reality to the characters because they're not limited by what's going on in history so that they can explore yeah. other avenues. And it sounds like that's what you were trying to do here. Yes, yes, definitely. Um, so that's, that's definitely one of the, the main aspects. Um, not trying to limit myself. It's not essential to the story. I did very much want to include magic in, in the story. Um, it's, I wanted to, to think how would the Roman, with their, you know, 
no-nonsense practical uh, attitude to world arts, but still steeped in the mysticism of, of the gods and everything, how would they actually view, you know, workable magic in the world? Speculate on those kind of aspects rather than what a particular personality was like. Mm. Yeah. Um, could you go a little bit more into the the magic or the mysticism that you included? Uh, yeah, so um, the world is, is the high fantasy world. It does have magic. It does have people who can manipulate reality uh, to their whim, like any other good wizard. Um, it's just done in a way that uh, I try to make uh, congruent with, with Roman philosophy. So there are still gods, and the gods do affect certain aspects of life. Um, anything from you know the, the main gods like Jupiter to, to the small household gods, etc. So Romans had gods of pretty much every crossroad. And um, to build on, on top of that, um, there are the people who can manipulate reality and do that. And then Felix, the protagonist, is actually one of them. He can actually uh, do a little bit of magic. Um, he studied a little bit, though he uh, never completed his studies. So he's a bit limited kind of playing around with what can they do, how it would affect cultural things, how it would uh, how it would affect the way that the society that is constructed, how it would affect the actual plot and then what's going on in the story itself. Mm. Uh, now, uh, as you probably know, Sarah is a writer herself, and I've been working on my own um uh, I'm not even sure what genre to put it into right now, uh, book, but, uh, you know, we're, we're very familiar with the idea of doing the research and, you know, throwing the words onto the screen and seeing how many of them actually stick. Editing process, gotta love that. Um, what is your, uh, method of writing? What, what, uh, if you will, what ritual do you have when you sit down to write? Um, there's the whole debate versus do you you know plot ahead the novel or just see where it lets you go um, somewhere in between probably. I start a novel when I have an idea of what it is about. So, um, Murder in Absentia is a mystery, and I knew what the uh, twist ending is before I even started, so I could actually reduce the novel to, to a particular sentence that describes what it is. Um, from there, I let uh, Felix sort of, you know, I lend him in it. I let him try and investigate and see what where he takes him, what he's trying to do, and steer him in the right direction towards towards the ending. And um, sort of just write the first draft, let it develop, let it uh, let the characters develop, let uh, the plot head in, in the in the right direction that that keeps true to this one particular vision for the for the novel um, and then in editing I can I can you know always uh, remove scenes that didn't work or add a little bit more foreshadowing for particular elements that ended up into being introduced a bit later so that's that's kind of my process okay very legitimate uh, 
some people uh, call the two main processes of writing as plotter and pantser, you know, plotting it all out or flying by the seat of the pants. Uh, and I'm somewhere in the middle myself. I, I started one story several years ago that I got derailed in the process with the research uh, because there's so much information for the style and placement of the story and all that, you know, it was kind of like a historical piece myself that I was working on. And it was just getting sucked into the research was at least at that point in time, it was more enjoyable than the writing, which probably just means that it wasn't time to write that story. But uh, yeah, I'm very familiar with, you know, trying to plot it out, which works well for me up to a point. And then I'm just like, ah, eh, push that off to the side and just let the words flow. Yeah. I think one of the enjoyments for me was um, actually watching the story unfold. I didn't want to plan anything. Uh, it doesn't seem natural. I mean, I, I wrote the story that I wanted to read. I love Rome. I love fantasy. I love mysteries. I wanted to read the kind of story that combines all three of them. So just writing it and watching the story as it unfolds, I think was great uh, joy for me and plotting everything in advance just looked uh, you know like it'll take a lot of fun out of it so that's why I said I settled on keeping that uh, essence of the story in the back of my mind so I know where things are heading but I also um, let it flow and then let it uh, evolve as I was writing it mm -hmm. sounds like a rather good way to do things. Um, I know that you have a bit of a cold. Sarah has a cold as well. So how about we take a musical break in case uh, you need to, uh, you know, uh, get a drink or whatever. And uh, when we come back, we'll talk more about the book and the writing process. Sure. Thank you. We're uh, going to hear from Omnia with Mars. I thought that was an appropriate one.
I had to include the Mars reprise there from Omnia also. Both those tracks are off of the album Sign Michon. Uh, and I know, Asif, that uh, your book, at least from the description that I've read and what you've told us so far, doesn't have a whole lot to do with the uh, Roman military, but it was just, you know, something I thought would kind of be appropriate for tonight. Are you still with us, Asif? Still with us, Asif? Yes. Yes. Sorry. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> uh, so, um, you've described the book as a historical fantasy mystery. Would that be accurate? Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, <laughs> which you know, you 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 grabbed my attention with the whole idea of it being set in Rome. So you know, good there. Uh, I've read a lot of uh, fantasy and historical fiction and all that based on Rome, as well as, you know, like I said, most recently, uh, some Roman steampunk, which I wasn't sure what to expect with that when I picked it up, but I'm, I didn't regret it. Um, if, and this is something I know you've had to do as a writer, but if you had to try to pitch your book to a potential reader, what would you do or say to describe it to get the reader's attention? Okay. Uh, well, I call the, the, the book of, of the whole series of stories of togas, daggers, and magic. It's history, mystery, and fantasy. And if you like two out of three, you probably like the book. <laughs> I think that's the most succinct way I've come across it. Mm-hmm. I have to... Um, Compare it to other books, uh, and that's uh, something I've heard actually from fans, not to something that I came up with. Is that, uh, it reads somewhat like um, Harry um, Harry Dresden in a toga. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So for fans of Harry Dresden, it uh, <laughs> usually gets there are worse. There are worse comparisons it? than Harry Dresden. <laughs> And describing uh, uh, Felix as Harry Dresden in a toga is probably going to get several people's attention right there. (laughs) (laughs) I've I've never actually met Jim, which I have. Um, I've only now started to read um, the the Dresden Files series. (laughs) It's after so many many fans tell me, oh, this is just like it. I'm like, okay, maybe I should actually read this book. Um, Enjoying it so far, so, yeah. Um, speaking of other books, um, you said early on that you had pretty much read all the good books out there, you know, the ones that you really wanted to read, so that's why you wrote this one. Uh, what are some of your influential authors? Um, in, in terms of uh, direct influence, there's um, Stephen Sater with his uh, Gordianos Defender series and Lindsay Davis with Marcus Vidius Falco series. They're both historical detective um, in ancient Rome. Gordianos is uh, set in the last century BC. Um, he's sort of observing the uh, events of the day of the, the fall of the Republic uh, while, while solving mysteries around there. Um, Stephen Seller has done an amazing job in research for for those events. 
and um, Lindsay Davis has set the Falco series around the time of Vespasian, so 70 AD. And again, it's a detective uh, kind of stories, and she's exploring more of the, the cultural aspect. So she, she she took a decade that was reasonably uh, quiet in, in the first century to to place the novels. Um, and I, I think the, my novel is, is very much influenced by these two in the sense that it's a it's a detective story that they're trying to walk around and, and solve what what is a, a murder mystery, um, observing the, the the cultural and the the, the events around them. Uh, there's also a book that's not very well known, which I absolutely adore and I think deserves far more um, uh, far more fame, which is Bridge of Birds by Barry Yuhart. It's historical fantasy. It's set uh, in ancient China, of all places. And again, it's sort of a detective story, but with a lot of magical and mystical elements. I think uh, Mr. Yuhart subtitled it... Um, a China that never was, but should have been. Um, it's, it's extremely charming and one of my favorite books of all time. Um, apart from that, there's a lot of other classics that you know I've read and, and I'm sure influenced my work in, in some ways, from you know Tolkien and, and other fantasy writers to Agatha Christie and then Raymond Chandler on the detective side. So. It's all in there somewhere. Now, I was trying to remember who an author was uh, earlier this evening, uh, basically right after we started the show, because I had read a uh, Roman period mystery type story, and I was trying to remember the author, and, well, it was uh, Lindsay Davis. <laughs> The first of the uh, uh, Falco series. Uh, yes. So it's like, oh, hey, there we go. And that's all I read, I think, was the first yeah. book. Uh, yeah. There's so many good books out there, so many, eh, they're okay to read books. And then, of course, you occasionally run into the book of why did I spend my money. That's what the public library is for, people. Uh, you know, start there, <laughs> like it, buy the book. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, I was just like, okay, there we go. That's the that's the book that I was looking for. And uh, thank you for bringing uh, Lindsay Davis up so that I could go, okay, now it's time to go read some more. Where am I going to find time? Uh, <laughs> yeah, she's, she's a great writer. Um, I love her, the Falco series. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I barely even remember it, so I will probably have to start over with the first book anyways. But... Uh, no, you you named some really good authors there, uh, some good books by them, uh, and a lot of fantasy writers, no matter what historical period they may write in or um, um, speculative time period in the future that they write in, seem to reference Tolkien quite often uh, as an influence. Mm-hmm. And I think that might be because not only were the uh, Lord of the Rings trilogy a uh, a great series to read, once you could you know wade through the really you took seven pages to describe a tree, <laughs> <laughs> but um, 
you know, it inspired so many other things, so many movie and TV series, so many other books, uh, comic books, and even role-playing games. But I think the idea of Tolkien being more or less a master storyteller uh, had a, has had a lot of influence on other authors of you know that being a goal that they would like to attain to at the very least be compared to him. Yes, yes. Um, my writing is, is quite different. Um, so I mean, I admire Tolkien, and I grew up and I read his novels several times. Um, but he he, lend, he tends towards the more epic side of fantasy. Uh, you know, the whole quest, etc. Which uh, a lot of work since then seems like it, it it's been a bit derivative. Not necessarily that it is, but it's hard not to compare to him. Um, I, I try something a bit more um, intimate and then gritty kind of uh, storytelling. Um, so mostly about the, a single character is trying to resolve a mystery. It's more self-contained rather than a grand scale epic. So different style, I'd say. But yes, um, mm-hmm. well, one of the things to remember with Tolkien is again he he wrote out of passion. So his passion was actually languages and and uh, cultural and, and epic poems uh, from Beowulf and Chaucer and then going forward. So his whole uh, writing revolves. Uh, sometimes I think he actually described it as he wrote the, the language of the elves first, and then sort of wrote a story around it. <laughs> so we start mm. with what we care about, and then we go on from there. <laughs> yeah, very true. Uh, I know that one of the most common uh, pieces of advice given to aspiring authors is write what you know. And a lot of young authors especially take that to mean, you know, write about their own experiences, put it into a fictional setting if you're writing fiction, or just, you know, write it as you're experiencing it type style. But I think that the uh, the advice of write what you know means find what it is that you're passionate about. Find what it is that deeply interests you and you can't think of anything else and write about that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, if you only wrote what you know, all literature would be a very banal place of mundane activities. For the majority of it wouldn't be any fantasy, would there? Mm-hmm. Um, the write what you know is, yes, you're absolutely correct. It's write what you what you care about. And, and in some senses, write what, what you would like to know. Because in, that, in the process of writing, you explore things, and you research, and you look into things, and you think about them. So it becomes uh, more of an exercise of learning and self-discovery, just as much as it is of storytelling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Sarah, you know this rather well. The, uh, the ideas that pop into your head... The um, the muse striking you, or in your case, Sarah, the muse that you let out from underneath the house, uh, telling you where to go. Yeah. Um, it, it's not so much the muse that does that as the characters, when they get around to actually telling the story... 
don't always go where I thought they were going to go. And, yeah, I, I think that that's one of the really cool things about writing is I, I'm an avid planner. I actually map out my outlines and everything. And even so, when I go to write a scene, it doesn't necessarily turn out the way I thought it would or even usually the way I thought it would. It There's always a surprise. And I think that's the coolest thing that happens to a writer is that, you know, you, you sit there and literally while you're typing these words, like, what am I writing and how did it get there? Have you wondered well, that, that yourself? Yes, uh, the, the characters do have a tendency to take over the writing and the plot and then go in their own direction sometimes. So I think that that's why I try not to plan too far ahead. So just have an idea of where it is all going and what needs to happen for the next step. And once you get there, you know what the next step after that's going to be. But planning it, you know, too many steps in advance and you just end up... Um, going on a completely different tangent. So. so know what you mean. I wound up uh, writing the introduction of a character to the story twice, two completely different ways, and I think they're both going to wind up in the story. <laughs> Which sounds really strange, but it, I think it's going to work. But, you know, when it's finished, we'll find out. <laughs> um <laughs> Do you feel like some other authors do that um, uh, the characters are more than just ideas in your head, but they actually kind of take on a personality of their own? Uh, yes, yes, definitely. Um, it's so the, the story is is written in the first person view. So Felix is the most. Uh, important and immediate character in there. So other, all the other characters are seen through his eyes. So focus on him for, for a minute. But yes, he's definitely taking on a personality as well. And well, there are things that uh, we share in common. Uh, sort of sometimes my alter ego, but um, he does have his own quirks and everything. And uh, he does things his own way. And I was uh, a couple of weeks ago. I was trying to um, write a dialogue between uh, a conversation, I should say, between uh, Felix and then the three other characters. And to my chagrin, they insisted about talking the wrong things. So I was trying to tell them to talk about things that I wanted to advance the plot, but they were insisting on talking of other things. So it, it took a while to write, then rewrite, and then get it out to the, to the right way that uh, reflects their own personalities and their own interests, but still actually <laughs> is the right kind of conversation to happen at that point. Uh, sounds somewhat like uh, when Sarah and I are doing shows without a guest, we wind up rambling on about something, and then we realize it's not even really related to what we're talking about. Too bad we can't go in and edit <laughs> that out. But, um, yeah, yeah I... I, I Dialogue or conversation, however you want to put it, is one of the hardest things for me to write because I go 
in that circuitous route anyways, um, which you may have noticed tonight. Uh, and it's just trying to put the character's voice in is sometimes difficult for me unless I take the opportunity to just, okay, the character wants to talk. The character's talking. I'm just going to type it all out on the screen and find out their mode of communication. And then I can use that when actually writing the dialogue, which you know means that sometimes I have screen after screen after screen of conversation that is for nobody's benefit but my own and doesn't even make it into the finished product. Yeah, oh, I completely understand. Um, if I may interject a little bit with advice to any um, aspiring authors that uh, happen to Of listen. course. Um, write what you feel natural. Write what you feel is right for the story. Um, some people will like it, some people will not. And it's the same with any other person, uh, any other thing in the world. Some people you know, like chocolate, some people don't like chocolate. Some people like coffee, some people don't. Um, some people like a certain person and some people don't. I've uh, had responses on my character, on, on the same character, that uh, he's flat and um, two-dimensional and that uh, he's... Uh, deep and and reflecting the social status of, of his upbringing and does it wonderfully. Um, what can I say besides, you know, um, write what you feel is the correct thing for the story and get feedback from, you know, 10, 20 people before you, uh, before you rush off to change or think that, oh my God, everything is lost. Some people, some characters, some events will speak to certain readers some will not, so you can tell. But when you write what you feel is is the right thing, that's where it shines the best anyway. So don't try to force things that don't feel natural. Mm. Yeah. Um, just out of curiosity, now that you've said all that, uh, did you uh, before sitting down to write? Did you read any of the you know how to write a book? type things that are out there <laughs> no uh, not really like I said I've been reading a lot I've been reading a lot of fiction of various types um, I never actually read a, uh, a book on how to write um, and I just started writing and I actually wrote pretty much in a cave so I didn't contact um, any other person, well, except my wife, when I was writing, but I was doing it late at night, you know, when the kids are asleep and then the house is quiet, and I didn't tell anybody and until I had the the whole novel finished, the whole first draft, I should say, finished, and only then I started to, oh, look, you know, there's a whole community of indie writers there. But um, even now, with the second novel, when I write, I write for myself. Um, I'm, I'm participating in a lot of communities, and I'm answering questions, etc. But my own writing is my own thing. It's it's my voice. It's what I feel is right for the for the story. Um, when I have a, a finished manuscript, um, I gave it to, to a few friends and, and, and family and got a bit of critique about it, which which improved my writing when they pointed out errors that it could be improved. But um, it's not a 
It's, it's not a collaborative effort. It's very much a personal thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I've, I'd go a slightly different route. When I, when I write something and I'm like, oh, this sucks, I, I send it to somebody else and go, tell me what you think. And, you know, sometimes they do come back with the sucks and other times they come back with, ooh, I want more. Uh, so, you know, I, I get the good and the bad mixed in together when I do that. But it's it's a good way of, you know, some people call it uh, beta readers. I rarely send off an entire chapter or anything like that for somebody to read, at least right now, because I haven't, you know, been satisfied with it, what I've done. But... Um, I do also uh, as just, you know, something to do for fun, if you will. Um, I write uh, book and music reviews. And it's something that I've done for a very long time. I even was, you know, with the uh, the book reviews that you had to write in school to prove that you read the book to the teacher mm-hmm. and all that. Um, it's, you know, I enjoyed doing that. So I just kind of do it as a little bit of fun and, you know, it's very rare that I'm going to write a review that's a bad review because it's like if I didn't like the book, that doesn't mean that other people are going to feel the same way. So I should let them decide for yep. themselves. I'm not like yep. those film critics that they'll tell you what they think. Um, you know, I want to write the good reviews. And if I can't write a good right. review, I usually don't even mention that I read the book because <laughs> it's like, ah, but, um, I have a feeling when I get around to reading your uh, Felix the Fox books, uh, which I know is just the first ones out so far, but you're working on the second one, um, that I'm going to want to uh, tell people about it. Because I just find the idea of a uh, Roman historical mystery fantasy type story to uh, be something that I'm going to just you know, sit down and devour. And um, that was a long are, roundabout way of saying nothing. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's okay. Now, I'm just going to mention that there are short stories that are written in between um, with Felix and sort of the same kind of uh, flavor as the book, which you can find on, on my website. Um, so give you an idea of what to expect before you uh, jump straight into the book. And uh, speaking of your website, since we're about halfway through, would you like to share what that web link is with our readers so they can go check it out if they haven't already looked yet? Sure. Um, the link is egretia.com. That's E-G-R-E-T-I-A dot com. That's uh, simply the name of the city that um, Felix is based in. And once you're there, you'll find a link at the top that says short stories. And of course, it looks like you've uh, done. Yeah, (laughs) typing that in there. Um, Looks like you've been pretty much doing what a lot of uh, newer authors do and some of the more established ones of getting yourself out there on social media. You've got a Facebook, a Twitter, a Google Plus, and of course, you've got a Goodreads page, which I love Goodreads because I find so many Goodreads. Yeah, definitely. Social media is uh, is imperative these days, so it's not uh, it's not the old world of traditional um, 
publishing that's it's mostly through um, brick and mortar groups and then big adverts on, on billboards and newspapers. It's mostly about um, social media and word of mouth and spreading that that way. So, yeah. Hmm. Sorry, looking at the website, going, "Ooh, I like this." <laughs> um, Thank you. Uh, and I have to kind of chuckle over the name of the publisher when uh, <laughs> looking at the way that uh, the book's described with, you know, togas, daggers, and uh, damn, how did I just forget? Togas, daggers, and magic. Looking at too many screens yes. here, and your publisher is Purple Toga. Yes. Okay. Um, purple was the color of royalty. So purple toga is the, the symbol of the emperors. Yeah. So is that your own uh, publishing name, or uh, yes, did it's, you? Uh, it's, it's own publishing house. So mm-hmm. um, when I when I uh, looked into first publishing a book, there's uh, well, there's a gazillion ways. There's traditional publishing on. on one extreme where you uh, query publishers and although often you query agents to query the publisher on your behalf first and on the other extreme there's completely self-publishing do it yourself um, and there are a lot of other independent models uh, small time publishers that will do some sort of service uh, in terms of publishing um, looked into it decided that uh, I'd rather do it myself, but I would do it properly. So I actually uh, created my own publishing business to uh, for the books. Yeah, and that kind of answered my next uh, question, which was, uh, you know, how did you go about getting published? So, you know, you took care of that one there. Must have read my mind or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <the> <laughs> Must be. Um, the, the thing with creating your own publishing house is that it's not just self-publishing. It is actually um, a business like any other. Um, I can be fairly fairly certain that they will accept my manuscript, but uh, I still employ professional editors, professional cover artists. I still do um, professional marketing, etc. Um, I do get queries from other people um, about using the same publishing house for their novels and um, at some point when life is a bit less crazy I might actually make it into a, a fully fledged business but uh, even so even now it is um, it is a professional business I think it's quite important um, to go about it that way so if, if you um, if you wrote a novel and you want to put it out don't just write the first draft and upload the word file to Amazon because that will look so amateurish and will not encourage potential buyers. So doing it professionally as you can is, is critical. Phil? Did we lose Phil? Yeah, I muted yeah. myself when I was trying to unmute myself. Other way, Phil. Other way. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, 
yeah, I, I, I sometimes do that. But uh, I was saying that uh, not everybody has the luck of finding an established publisher that's uh, willing to take the risk on their manuscript. Uh, you know, especially if you know they have nothing else out there. Uh, but you know, taking the the route of developing your own publishing house and treating it like the serious business that it is. And like you said, Asif, it's not only a guarantee that they'll accept your manuscript, but it does give you that little bit more of a, uh, a business clout. It's like, oh, this is an actual publishing house. It's not, you know, Murder and Abstention by Asif Mare published by Asif Mare. It's published by Purple Toga. So, you know, yeah. they may never have even heard of it, but they see that uh, publishing house label on there and they take it a little bit more seriously. So, you know, good move there. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I mean, it, it does require an effort, like I said. It does require um, distancing yourself a little bit from your work because uh, when you come to do the publication side, you do need to treat it as if this was, you know, a business and this was somebody else querying you, how would you take it on? So, or if you decided to take on that manuscript, how would you actually do it? properly, professionally, to, to the highest standards possible. Mm-hmm. But um, I think it's worth it. Um, and I, I keep looking back at that uh, that link and going, do I want to click the buy now? Because <laughs> <laughs> it sounds so yes, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just looking at my, my uh, Kindle and my stack of physical books going, when am I going to find the time to read the time to read Yes, Sarah. Yes, Sarah. I, I was just going to say, of course you want to. It's just whether or not you will right now or if you will later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very true. Yeah. Very, very true. Very it, true. it could go into it my wish list. Into, into my personal wish list. These are the things that I want to get, even if nobody else can do it for me. Someday, when uh, I'm rich and famous and have a lot of time to read... You might have a better opportunity for that, Sarah, than I do. Uh, But uh, on that note, how about we take another uh, musical break? Uh, And one of our live listeners is like, you know, Omnia, very good choice. And there's lots of uh, Roman or Latin inspired music from Omnia. So um, I'm going to just, you know, kind of, uh, where do I want to go and pick something not too long, though, um, just to, you know, have a little bit of fun and uh, take a break so that everybody can uh, get a drink if they need to. And uh, I think we'll go with Intaburna uh, Panoma, also off of uh, Sign Michon, which is more or less a uh, Roman disc of Omnia's. So we'll be back in a couple of minutes for more conversation with Asif Mare.
bit more Omni off of uh, Saint Michon, and as you can tell with the background there, that that was a live recording. But uh, Omni is good anyway, so we'll just go with it as it is. And they've got a new album out too, uh, called Prayer. Just came out a couple of weeks ago, and uh, don't have any of that uploaded yet. But I, I haven't had a chance to listen to it. Um, now. I understand from the bio, Asif, that you sent Kali Sarah that uh, you're a bit of a gamer. Played some D&D in the past. I did in the past, yes. And uh, that that had some influence on your uh, storytelling at the very least? Um, I think so. Um, I think in some ways it was... um, uh, The whole writing process, I think it feels almost like a collaboration between Felix and myself. Um, and I think in, in, in D&D, so, or in any role-playing game, it's, it's a bit like that as well. So uh, players and uh, game masters, etc., tend to run off on tangents from the, the pre-specified plot. So, um, this whole collaboration is, um, let's say, you know, I'd land him in a situation and he would tell me what he needs to do and I would then tell him, okay, so that's what happens there and then, okay, where do we go from here kind of thing. So, I think I think there are aspects of, to the writing process that feels like it's a role-playing game. Mm. Yeah, I know a lot of uh, fantasy authors, no matter what period they may write in or where they're going with their story and all that have probably had some experience with role-playing games, be it Dungeons and Dragons or uh, Vampire of the Masquerade or Rifts or, you know, there's, there's so many of them to name uh, that, you know, it's, it's a way for them to develop their storytelling style, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, you don't have to have been a gamer to write a good book. That's, that's not what I'm saying, but having, that kind of uh, of an experience of developing your own stories. You know, a lot of you now there's a lot of authors out there that they wrote short stories passionately, wrote them when they were in school for their creative writing classes or what have you, and that's how they developed their storytelling style. Or uh, you know, they they watched a lot of movies as kids and like to act them out in the backyard with their siblings or what have you. And you know, it's like okay, let's let's take this story and change it so it works for us here. And or even telling stories to your younger siblings. Uh, you know, all great ways to develop a storytelling style. And then you take it all and you put it on the paper. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think when you love stories, whether it's reading or writing, it's uh, your experiments and then role playing or just playing, just another way of uh, exploring the stories that, that you want to tell. trying to figure out where to go from here. Sometimes I get a little lost in ideas. Um, <laughs> Sarah, do you have a prompt? Maybe. <laughs> um, you know, it's, a, it's a little earlier than we usually do it. Yes, Sarah, go ahead. Yes, Sarah, go ahead. Oh, 
Oh, I'm trying to unplug myself. It's rather oh, no, interesting. Don't do that. No, don't do that. <laughs> oh, I, I was just going to say, um, Asaf, how did you get the idea yeah. for making this a series? How did they get the idea for the mystery? Making for, it a series. For it being a series. Uh, for the series. Um, I started with the idea for the first mystery. It's actually something I've been kicking around in my head for um, almost a decade uh, in, in various permutations. But, uh, and it ended up being quite differently. I originally didn't think it would be ancient Rome, but uh, ended up being there anyway. So, but while I was writing it, while I was writing that first mystery, um, especially um, you know, towards the end, and then while I was working on editing, etc., there were just so many other things that I thought I could make with it. There were so many other stories that I wanted to tell with, with the same character, etc. So, um, towards the end of the manuscript, I knew I was going to finish it, right? <laughs> and I knew that. Um, I will be publishing it, and, and while I was editing it, it was definitely, you know, needed to work on other things. I just kept a notebook with lots of ideas for all the, the future novels, and uh, them working through them. Some of them ended up being short stories uh, that I put up on the web, because it's a, sort of a quicker mystery, as I should say, to resolve, and then some of them are uh, have enough uh, substance in there to, to make it into a full-length novel. Excellent. I guess uh, once you start writing and once you uh, get a little bit of, of confidence and, and steam going forward, it's it's hard to stop. At <laughs> uh, least that, that that was my experience. So once I started, mm-hmm. once I really learned to enjoy the writing process, um, which which is hard but enjoyable at the same time. It's just. Uh, it's not something that you want to stop. Mm-hmm. I, I completely agree with that. I I have two series that I'm doing myself, and I, I find it more interesting that there there are some of the the stories that I'm working on that. I know for a solid gold fact that, you know, they're a single book. There's only one story there. Yes. But other people are like, but it's so interesting. There's got to be more. Well, yeah, but there's only one story there. <laughs> yeah, it, it is, it's hard for, for some people to understand that, you know, you you write the stories that are there. And when you force yes. something to to go on too long... That that's just as detrimental. But when you know that the story does go on, when you know that there's more than one book there, it's it's so obvious. You know, it's it's clamoring. Yeah, absolutely. So, and I think it, each book will be an independent mystery in and of itself. Um, mm-hmm. There there's some continuing. Uh, Themes, so obviously the introduction of uh, Felix himself, and then some of his friends and uh, associates will, will carry on between books, and then development in, in his own personal life will carry through. But each story, each mystery, is uh, 
a singular thing, right? It's, it's, a, mm-hmm. it's a complete idea. Uh, there's uh, many books that I've read over the years that it's like, okay, this is a series, and I can tell at this point the author was struggling to write the story, which is, you know, it's not fair to the, the author to uh, force him or herself through that, and it's not fair to the readers, especially those that enjoy that author's style so much that they can tell, okay, he didn't want to do this, Um I think of Pierce Anthony with the Incarnations of Immortality series. Uh, He had only set out to write five books in that series. And the sixth book uh, was basically because the fans wanted another story. They loved the world that he had created so much that they wanted another story. And he's like, okay, I'll make that happen. And then the seventh book, that was the publisher going, you're not done. We want you to do this. And you can kind of tell reading uh, book six and seven, that his heart wasn't fully in it. They're still good books, but it just wasn't, you know, that same feeling when uh, you got to them. It's like, oh, this is just a little disappointing. Unlike his Zant series, which, my God, that man won't stop writing those books. They're they're, they're brain candy. They're just I, I I read them and it takes me like a day when any other book can take me weeks. It's just. But you know they're good, simple stories to read, kind of give the brain a break from all the seriousness. But you know, don't get me wrong, I do enjoy them. It's just, uh, are you ever going to stop? How many? How far am I behind now? Yeah. Oh yes, and I, I know what you mean. And um, I think in my own writing, I'm, I'm um, in, in the next few novels that I have planned, um, I'm going to experiment as well. So, Murder in Absentia is all about the twist ending. It's all about how it's working to um, resolve the murder mystery. Um, and the next book that I'm writing now is is not. It's uh, I wouldn't say it's straightforward. It's still quite twisty, but um, it's not the same kind of mystery. It's a different kind of thing. It's more of a almost legal battle. So I want to explore a bit more um, several aspects. One of them is the the legal system. The other thing is the the household gods, the small gods, rather than uh, the big themes that that, uh, might be present in murder and absentia. And I think that the third book that I have an idea for is will be about um, gladiators and other society functions. So I think it's important that... uh, you have this idea for the story and you know what you want to explore. And I think it goes back to what we tell, said earlier, but write what you know, but also write what you would like to know about. Right? Um, don't, don't be afraid to experiment. Don't fall into the trap of, oh, you know, that particular uh, model worked, so I'll just repeat the same thing. That's how you end up with Hollywood, you know, <laughs> cookie-cutter kind of movies that repeat the same thing. So mm-hmm. Yeah, feel let let your creative freedom, let your imagination run wild. Don't be afraid to experiment. Yes, maybe not all of them will turn out uh, quite the same or as successful as, as others, but uh, it's almost guaranteed that if you just do the repeat the same story in variation every single book, that that will not go well. 
Yeah. You gotta find new ways to torment your characters. <laughs> is, yeah, isn't I that think what that's safe to say. Sorry, I didn't hear that. It was a bit of noise. I said you gotta figure out new ways to torment your characters. Ah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, <laughs> something I put up on on my blog the um, the other day that uh, I almost invariably end up uh, chucking the uh, legs in either a brothel or the sewers, and uh, I was facing a bit of a writer's blocks, and it wasn't a sewers kind of situation, so without having any clue what he's doing, Felix just let him walk into a brothel and he then told me what's happening kind of thing and how he's what his scheme is to uh, acquire the information that you needed. So yes. So <laughs> the characters can uh, can get away from you. Mm-hmm. Do what they want. <laughs> Yeah, let's let's throw the main character into a brothel. What is a man of this dish doing and walking into a brothel? <laughs> yeah, I found I found that uh, after that he was a lot more cooperative than you know uh, after torturing him with some other twist of fate. <laughs> but yes, I think um, one of the, the favorite scenes, some of the favorites I had right were the ones that I was calculating people as I was writing them. But the misfortune that I'm keeping on the card. Did we lose Phil again? Uh, no, I was oh. I was trying to decipher what was being said over the noise of a fan, <laughs> which it, 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 it is what it is, Sarah. Don't worry about it. It happens. <laughs> but uh, oh, just a bit. In regards to uh, tormenting your characters, but, um, some of my favorite scenes to write um, and, and the readers responded to were scenes where I was um, cackling in evil glee as I was writing them at all the, the misfortunes that I was laying on the on the Felix and then the other people around. So, mm-hmm. I think it's important to torture your characters every so often. <laughs> uh, what I love when I is when I realize that that's what the author's doing. It's like, okay, they're torturing this character. Why are they torturing them? What did they do? Why do they deserve this? And, you know, talking to Sarah and her torturing her characters, I know what they did, but <laughs> it's like, <laughs> when you when you throw that wrench in like you did with uh, Felix going into the brothel, um, you know, not having read the book yet, I'm not sure how I would react but um, oh, that's actually it's, in the, the current work in progress. But yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. So I will when I when I get to that, I will have already found out a little bit about him, and then I read that, and I'm like, this doesn't sound like something he would do, <laughs> or <laughs> at least not something that we get talked about. No, it's um, it's quite congruent quite with congruent. with the rest of uh, Felix's uh, way of getting information out. <laughs> Okay. So, Sarah, are you still having fun tormenting your characters? I am. Although I am a little bit curious as to what Asaf has planned for Felix 
and if he will give us a hint. Um, um, yeah. <laughs> um, so how should I say it? Um, it's, um, like I said, I write the stories as they evolve. I let them, um, I'll sometimes let them take me to the places that I want to go. And, um, I do try to make Felix's life a bit complicated, both, uh, on a personal level and on a, um, um, I mean his, his personal lives, and in, in regards to the case that he's working on now, so um, experimenting with things, experimenting with uh, emotional endings and um, emotional scenes, and then complicated life choices that, that have their consequences later, things like that. Trying not to uh, give away too many spoilers. <laughs> totally understandable, uh, and just you know, just enough taste there that it's like, ooh, gotta read. Yeah, um, I do plan on, on giving him a bit more prominent uh, love life outside of both of us, but an actual love life. And I do plan <laughs> to make it uh, complicated as complicated as I can. <laughs> Um, let's see here. Uh, I just lost my train of thought. I'm do, I'm multitasking right now, and we all know multitasking for certain people is not a bad thing, or not a good thing. Yep. That's, yeah, obviously it's not a good thing for me if I can't even say it. <laughs> but uh, um, Sarah, help. <laughs> Okay, all I have to say is Felix finds himself on a ship attacked by pirates at night. Yes. And you say that this is your favorite scene, or one of your favorite scenes. It was, actually. Okay, dude, pirates? 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 Yeah, actually... Piracy was one of the biggest problems in the Mediterranean. Um, It was a recurring issue, and several people throughout uh, Rome's history um, dealt with it uh, repeatedly. Um, Pompey the Great was was one of the most notorious ones. He pretty much uh, started at uh, Spain and very slowly, very carefully worked his way east to clear the ports and clear the waters of all the pirates and then wage a war that lasted a couple of years to, you know, make the shipping safe and then clustered uh, uh, for a few decades. Um, Caesar himself, when he was, um, Julius Caesar, when he was uh, about 22, was abducted by pirates and held for ransom. So, yeah, piracy was um, a very, very big and important fact of sea culture in those days. Mhm. Plus, any mystery that has pirates in it has got to be grand. <laughs> pirates. Yes. It's pirates. Yes. And sword fighting. Um, I also wanted um, an action sequence at that at that point to um, 
shake everybody a bit after <laughs> the things that come before and after. So yes, um, it was good for for literary uh, reasons, and yes, it's good because you know pirates. It's fun. <laughs> it is fun. Uh, what do you think, though? <laughs> well, of course, pirates are good and are a great addition to just about any story. Okay, it it, it kind of helps that my birthday sometimes falls on the actual, you know, quote unquote holiday of Talk Like a Pirate Day. So, arr, <laughs> into the pirates there myself a little bit, but. Um, there's so many different directions that you can go with pirates and you can, you can go in ways that people aren't going to expect, but yeah, pirates have had over, over the centuries in just about any culture, they've had some kind of an influence anyways. So it's something that just about anybody can relate to, or at least go, okay, this, this I'm interested in because, you know, some family connection or whatever to piracy or, uh, uh, Oh, what was the other term that was used? Privateering. Privateering. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it depends you know, on which side of the law you're on. Exactly. But uh, yeah, it's like okay, got to put an action scene in, and what better way to do it than with pirates? That's that's all I've got to say there. It's like okay, I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and in terms of the action scene itself, it was also. Um, I mean, uh, there's many things that that worked, or got worked into that scene. So, it's the balance of the story overall with the things that happening before and after. It's uh, um, the actual idea of piracy and its effect on, on sea culture, uh, or, or uh, a culture that relies a lot of sea travel. Um, there's the writing style in itself. So, and there's the action scenes in itself. So, using a different, slightly different style to write the action sequences, making the action sequences themselves realistic. Um, so you sometimes read about uh, uh, action scenes in fantasy and you think about, like, that that doesn't happen. Nobody does it that way. Um, it happens more with movies, but I've seen plenty of books that are guilty as well. So um, I wanted to make it uh, a very realistic action scene as well and one that will leave the reader a bit breathless. Um, and in, in, in certain ways, so I hope I succeeded. So <laughs> I'll let uh, Sarah be the judge of that. Looks good so far. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Mm. Okay, we've lost Sarah to a read, haven't we? <laughs> when she when she starts making those noises, she's really getting into it, or. Yeah, I'm not going to go there. That's inappropriate. <laughs> Which I'm sure she's been making those noises while she's been muted because of the accent anyways. <laughs> Gotta have a little... I admit nothing. There. I admit <laughs> nothing. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, you really are admitting nothing there. Mm-hmm. We all know. We all know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, do we want to take another musical break, or do we want to keep going? Uh, I'm good with either. 
What about you, Asif? Are you good to go? It's your show. Yeah, I'm good to go. Okay. And you got to be getting hungry. It's getting close to lunchtime. Uh, yeah, it's 11.30. That's right. I had a morning coffee before uh, before the session, so they will be all properly caffeinated and enthusiastic about life in a Monday morning. <laughs> yeah, for Monday morning. <laughs> Don't remind yeah. me that's coming up real soon for us. Um, you know, you've talked about some of your early influences with uh, books, you know, various authors and what have you. But other than uh, Jim Butcher with the Dresden Files, what are you reading now? I'm reading a lot of indie authors. Um, and that's something that's uh, sort of recent because it was just, exposed to this community a lot more uh, was becoming one myself there are a lot of um, really really wonderful people then um, people have written really wonderful books as well in terms of what I read um, I tend to read um, historical fiction mysteries and then fantasy but um, I'll read uh, anything as long as it's well written so you mentioned before how you don't like to uh, leave bad reviews because it's a matter of taste, and I'm, I'm with you on that. So usually I'll pick up a book and I'll know by the end of the first chapter if I want to finish it or not. And if I don't, then you know it's usually a matter of, of personal taste. Mm-hmm. But um, I've read uh, in the past, you know, six months, um, comedic fantasy, um, paranormal romance, uh, literary fiction. Plain old you know, short stories with literary merit, not not fantasy or anything. Uh, as long as it's well written, as long as it's enjoyable, I'll just have fun um, reading it and trying and exploring and opening my eyes to to new horizons. Yeah, um, there's only been one book that I frequently talk about that uh, was especially horrid, and. Uh, I took it to a used bookstore after I read it and resisted the urge to throw it into the fire. It was that bad. And it was not <laughs> fiction. It was supposed to be uh, like a, a socio-archaeological exploration of uh, goddess worship in ancient Europe. And it was so bad, I don't even remember the title or the author right now, but it was so bad that in the same paragraph, the author could not speak Bell and accepted authority's name the same way twice and he mentioned her three oh. times in the same paragraph <laughs> and all of his uh, reference or source material that he would you know included in his footnotes for bibliography was other than hers and a couple of other um, accepted experts in the field were references to his own works yeah and I was just like, ah, I took it to the used bookstore, handed it over to the uh, the owner and said, I don't care what you do with it. Use it to line the litter box. Uh, use it to prop <laughs> up the table leg. I don't care. And she's like, it was that bad. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I certainly I believe that life is too short for books you don't enjoy. So if I don't enjoy a book, I'll just move on. <laughs> not, not spend mm. too much emotional energy or anything. I'll, I'll just move on. <laughs> 
Yeah, that was like the last book that I read that within the first chapter I knew I was going to hate it. Any time after that, it's like, okay, I'm not really liking this, so I'm going to put it away. Or I'm almost liking this, but I'm not 100% sure. Let's read chapter two. You know, I'm only like 35 pages into the book at the end of chapter two, depending on how long the chapters are for the author. And no, no, just put it away, put it away. Yeah. Look, uh, you can recognize books that are uh, well-written, just not to your personal taste, and you can recognize books that are simply – not well written or like in, in I wouldn't say absolute terms, but more standard terms. And you can say things that, oh look, I, I can see how the author is you know, experimenting with things. Um, spell checking and bad editing is something that just needs to be resolved. Uh, it could have been yeah. resolved by implying a professional, but um, talking about more literary styles, etc. And you can say, um, look, this is just not for me. Um, I mean, I wish you all the best with your journey. I'm sure that there are people who would like it, and um, it's not for me. I mm. think uh, I've actually just this month celebrated uh, uh, getting 50 reviews on Amazon, and they were all uh, four and five stars, which uh, for an indie author is a pretty big deal, getting those 50 reviews. That's uh, usually where the Amazon algorithms kick in as well and start, you know, Putting your books in the oh, people also bought kind of lines, etc. But uh, to get all those reviews and then to make sure that you know uh, they all four and five stars, it's not that they did anything special, you know, besides writing an awesome book. But, uh, <laughs> besides that, it's making explicit what the book is about, what what to expect. So it's a it's a semi-historical. It's got fantasy elements. It's a first-person detective. You know. Try the first chapter; you'll get a very good understanding of what you what you're into before you even buy it. Because you know, you can actually get the first chapter for free from Amazon. Um, and, and Goodreads. I think this, yeah, and from Goodreads as well. Yeah. So either way, and I think that's that's just the best way to um, to engage potential readers. It's uh, this is my niche market: the people who you know like a little bit of. Uh, history, particularly Rome, people who enjoy a good mystery, people who like the, the fantastical elements, um, you know, or at least any two out of those three, um, and making sure it's explicit, making sure that people understand what they're getting into, um, and then they make the decision. And I had a lot of people say, you know, oh, would you be interested in if, uh, uh, reading a book or having a free copy um, to, and to leave a review later? And I said, look, it's not for me. I said, okay, fine. You know, it's it's a good, honest response. I know that uh, um, this is a particular story. It's the same as what we told uh, before about characters. It'll appeal to some people. It will not appeal to other people. Just make it explicit, and then the readers who will pick it up are likely the ones who are going to um, enjoy it anyway. And that's how you end up with, with good reviews. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when it comes to indie authors, I have a a rule when it comes to doing the Amazon reviews. If I don't think the book was actually that enjoyable, I won't review it because I don't want to give uh, an indie author a bad review because that's just going to knock them out of the uh, algorithms. 
you know, if enough people do that, it's like if now if I really enjoy the book, they're going to get a five star um, or a four star if it was, you know, it was good, but it wasn't, you know, in my opinion. And I stress that great. Yeah, but I won't give less than a four star. If I didn't enjoy the book, I just won't even bother when it comes to the indie authors uh, writing a review. Because, you know, I'm kind of an indie author myself. I haven't gotten published yet, but I'm working towards that. And it's just kind of a a respect thing. Um, On my review site, um, when I give a, you know, a really good review of an indie author, I will sometimes put an editorial note down at the bottom, you know, from an editing standpoint, this is what needs to be worked on, which is easy enough to solve with beta readers or a professional editor, but the story itself was good, was worth the read. And yeah, with Kindle editions, that's where I run into it mostly is the formatting. And that's as anybody who's gone from, uh, you know, actual book to, uh, an e format knows that the formatting sometimes can get a little hinky. Yes, definitely. Yeah. You, need, you need to work. Um, you need to work differently. But um, I, I mean, I totally agree with you about the, about the, the reviews. My my scale is, you know, if it's a three stars, probably like a meh kind of books. So I probably didn't bother reading it because, like I said, life is too short. I want to read the things I really enjoy, so I wouldn't, probably wouldn't bother leaving a review about a book that I didn't enjoy. Um, four stars is something I really enjoyed, and five stars is something that you know got me raving and then running to get the, the author's other books as well. Mm-hmm. That's, that's kind of my, my skill. And when I write yeah. a review, I try to um, sort of divide it into sections about um, sort of the summary of, of what my experience with the book is, but also kind of what to expect when you're reading it, what to be uh, conscious of when you pick up this book. I think uh, this helps potential readers understand what they're going into. So um, there was one book for a friend that's uh, another author in Sydney, and I read a book, and it's sometimes marketed as paranormal romance, and it's not what normal readers of paranormal romance would expect. So it kind of helps, I think, to... uh, Yes, just because it has paranormal elements and it has some romance element doesn't make it paranormal romance because paranormal romance usually applies to those uh, a, a certain kind of books, you know. Uh, let's not name Twilight or anything like that, but uh, <laughs> BDSM kind of books. Yes, exactly. And her book uh, has that's my opinion. Literary. Sorry, this agrees, but that's my opinion. Let's <laughs> <laughs> call it Vampire BDSM. Uh, clash. <laughs> There you go, that works. And um, Yeah, and, and her book was actually quite literary. It had a lot of uh, reference to classical music and, and, and uh, Renaissance culture, etc. So just because it has the paranormal elements and, and romance doesn't make it a paranormal romance. So when you come to pick up this book, you should be you know, aware of that kind of thing. So I think, I think that, that was the way that I found that um, uh, it creates a helpful review because it highlights what's, uh, what I enjoyed about the book, and it also highlights um, what other potential readers can expect from, from this book by picking it up and um, get the right people to read the right books. Hmm. Sarah, do you have any uh, final questions for Asif since we are quickly approaching the end of the show? Um, 
Not particularly. Uh, well, okay, yes, but first I, I want to uh, make sure that our listeners understand how important it is to leave reviews, especially if you like the book. If you like the book, if you like the author, if you if you would like to see more of them, leave a review, even if it's just the star rating and the word great or good or you know, Reddit or, you know, whatever. It doesn't have to be complicated because, um, uh, like, Amazon being the primary one, but in a lot of other ones, too, the reviews actually are how the authors get seen. And so it it literally can make or break an author as to whether or not they have reviews. So Absolutely. leave a review, even if it's not, like, you know, a, a great big verbose, assessment of the inner workings of the plot. Nobody cares about that. Just leave a review. Absolutely. And, um, uh, I left a note at the end of my book. You know, if you enjoyed, leave a review. And then left a note at the beginning of the book. You know. Exactly. Um, there's actually um, uh, tied to um, my views about uh, digital piracy. Uh, mm-hmm. the downloads for free sites and uh, I left a note in the beginning of the book, uh, the copyright space. Uh, you know, if you um, download it from a free site, I hope you enjoy reading it. Um, if you like it, you know, either buy a, a copy or just leave a review on Amazon. That's just as important for me as an author. Um, I know that digital piracy is not going away anytime soon. I'm not gonna waste time and energy in thinking about it as oh, you know, I could, I should have been paid. It's like. Uh, well, if that person picked it up at a public library or a friend lent them the copy, it's not like a sale, right? Um, just uh, if you read a book and you enjoy a book, leave a review. That's the most important thing for an indie author. Author. Mm-hmm. Mm. Now, uh, this is a perfect opportunity, and Sarah, unless you had another question. Oh, go ahead. I'm going to say this is a perfect opportunity for our listeners since it's almost the end of the show and they can, you know, finish listening and still go shopping uh, to uh, ask you, Asif, to share your, your website and all that again with everybody. Sure. Uh, my website is egretia.com, E-G-R-E-T-I-A.com. And um, you'll find short stories. There's links for the books, um, links for my blog and, and whatnot. And I'd also like to mention, mention that, um, well, about <laughs> uh, till tomorrow, the book is on a 50% off on Amazon Kindle. It's a 50% off or 50 reviews kind of promotion that I've been running this whole month. So if you buy it in the next uh, 24 hours, you'll get uh, you'll get to enjoy that. Awesome. That's enough right there for me to click the buy now. (laughs) I'm like, ah, what the heck? Let's go ahead and do it. I've been saying it, so let's make it happen. There we go. Done. Um, Now, it's been great having you on, Asif. Really enjoyed finding out how your your methodology for writing works. Uh, works and how you decided to you know go about it, which is you know I've been told many a time with some of the stuff that I've been looking for. It's like if you can't find it, write it yourself. 
so that's happening. Um, yep. <laughs> so I'm, I'm glad to hear that other people do it that way. It's like, well, I can't find the story I want, so I'm going to write it. And, okay, I'm going to close the Amazon page now before I buy up all of Lindsay Davis's books. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> now that I found the author again. Um, but, you know, it's been great having you on. I uh, do apologize for uh, my my scatterbrained method of doing things tonight <laughs> and uh, any, you know, technical difficulties we may have had. BTR has been doing some weird things to us lately. So um, yeah. I'm going to just blame it Thank on that. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having Sarah? me. It was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Yes, thank you. Uh, Sarah, do you have any final comment there? May your second book be as successful as your first, or more. Thank you. That's, that's probably yeah. the highest compliment an author can receive. All right. Well, you go enjoy your lunch. Uh, or whatever it is you're going to do next. And uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, Sarah and I are going to do our little wrap-up that we always do at the end of the show. So it's it's been a pleasure. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Okay, Sarah. Hey, that was a great one, wasn't it? Yes. Yes, indeed. Sometimes you come up with some really good ideas. Oh, who am I kidding? Sometimes. Most of the time, well, with really good ideas. <laughs> Some of them just happen to be frightening ideas, but good. The, yes, frightening ideas. Mm. <laughs> uh, uh, coming up in the near future here on the Pig Music Podcast channel next Sunday, which is August 7th. Can you believe it's August already? No. Uh, no. No. Okay, it's not August for a couple more hours for us, but can you believe that? No. No. I don't want it. Hey, the kids go back to school. The kids go back to school. Uh, yeah, but then Stormy goes back to school, too. Uh, yeah, and everybody brings more viruses home and you get sick again. Yeah, sometimes. Mm. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Yeah. But uh, next weekend on the 7th, uh, J.M. Lee and Shadows of the Dark Crystal is what we're going to be talking about. An officially approved uh, Dark Crystal prequel series. So, yes, we're talking that Dark Crystal. Um, So, yeah, looking forward to that. And uh, oddly enough, uh, one of our guests in September uh, is the uh, editor and publisher of an anthology that's uh, it's a nonfiction anthology, but J.M. Lee is included in that as well. Uh, it's an anthology called Godless Pagans, uh, edited by um, John Halstead. But uh, before then, on the 14th of August, uh, we have the uh, owner and uh editor, I suppose you could say, of uh, Dark Moon Press joining us to talk about publishing in general and some of the specific titles that are coming out or have come out from Dark Moon, including a book by Bradley Murphy of Murphy's Midnight Rounders called Othiel, uh, which is a, let me grab the copy here that I have, 
um, Norse Ancestral Traditions. It looks like a rather interesting book, and I will be hopefully getting to that before we have Brad on in September. Uh, and, uh, oh, ooh, ooh, hey, the 13th, which is the Saturday before uh, we have uh, Dark Moon Press on, which is mm-hmm. uh, Eric, um, you and I are going to be guests on Green Egg. Really? Yes, we are. Yeah, I confirmed that with uh, Aradia this morning, uh, just to make sure that I could get it into my calendar and not forget. So it's like, ooh, this is going to be interesting. What are they wanting to talk to us about? Us. Oh, really? We I have to talk know. about ourselves? I know, right? Uh-huh. And, you know, a little more than seven years of Pig Musings podcast. On the 21st, uh, we have Andy Peliquin and the last Bucellari series. And to wrap up the month of August, Brian O'Rain and the Starshot Chronicles. So, yeah, we've got lots of authors coming up, which is, you know, but that's, that's great. That's fun. Uh, and also gives me more things to read. No wonder I don't get very far on my writing. <laughs> but uh, do you have anything fun and exciting planned yourself? Uh, not in particular. Hmm. Just doing same old, same old stuff. That's pretty much it. Sorry, I, I, I needed a filler because uh, for some reason Chrome decided when I clicked on the tab to to go to that tab that it closes it, even though I was nowhere near the X. So I'm having to go back and find the studio. But uh, <laughs> well. are you on the studio page? Oh, no. I unplugged myself again. Oh, oh no. Plugging. Well, th- the plugins are like right in the front, so whenever I lean forward, it's like tugging on the plug. It's very bad positioning. Yeah. I, I hopefully it'll be fixed by next week. Mm. Getting a we shall new see. thingy. Yeah, yep. and a whole thingy. That's it. Okay. It's a two little boys into USB boy. So you get the the little plug boys, you know it's the mm. male, the little plug boys, and they plug into the the little USB boy to plug into my computer, which is apparently female. <laughs> okay, that's one way to put it. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, somebody reminded me this morning that we're in the the pre-shadow of another Mercury retrograde, so I'm just like, oh, no. Yay! <clears throat> More things that can potentially go wrong. You know, it's it's like when, when, when we go into Mercury retrograde, it's like Murphy's Law takes over. Yeah. You know, if... if it can go wrong, it will go wrong, and we we just hope and pray that it goes wrong before we actually need it to go right so we can fix it. Pretty Did much. that make any sense? Yeah. Okay. But, uh, yeah, uh, August is going to be another fun-filled month. September is starting to come together. I'm going to be emailing and confirming dates and uh, who some of the guests are, because, you know, with John Halstead uh, talking about godless paganism, 
um, you know, I've got him confirmed, but he's like, who, you know, I suggested let's have some of the contributors on. And he's like, well, who would you like to have? And I'm like, oh, boy. Quickly go through the table of contents. It's like, ooh, this person. And no, we're going to be talking to that person before. Uh, oh, hey, we've never had this one on. You know, did my best because several of the contributors to the anthology we've had on before. I did my best mm-hmm. to pick other voices so we could get other perspectives. And, mm-hmm. you know, reference some of our previous guests uh, somehow or another during the show so that more of our listeners uh, who like what they had to say or have followed their blogs or whatever can go, oh, hey, something else to read that they did and get other perspectives at the same time. That's just what's kind of my goal with that. So it's like, ah, okay. But now that I've rambled on enough, it's like, why am I wide awake? I gotta go to bed. Um, do you have a music request or a choice that you've already got lined up for us to send us out? Um, not particularly, but if you give me just a second. Okay, I've given you a second. How about Crossroads? From S.J. Tucker's Ember Days. That works. That works. All right. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Yeah what, yeah, what did they bill Ember Days as the uh, best uh, B-rated film of the year a couple of years ago?
You knew the risks when you decided to drive drunk. There could be a crash. People could get hurt or killed. But that didn't stop you, did it? You knew you could get arrested. You could incur huge legal expenses, and you could possibly even lose your job. You were well aware of the consequences of driving drunk. But one thing's for sure. You were wrong when you said it was no big deal. Drive sober or get pulled over. This message brought to you by NHTSA. He dreams of playing in the big leagues. Which is taking a toll on your dreams. Most people don't think about their home insurance until something happens. But talking to an American family insurance agent today can mean your dreams have better protection tomorrow. Visit amfam.com slash home for a quote and see if your insurance measures up. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin, 53783.